I was going to start out by asking how you got first got involved with IPO. Oh, um, right. Well, I used to be in obedience. I had okay. collies. Then my friend got a Mally and liked her Mally so much that I got one. I got one of hers, actually. She had puppies and I had one. And I intended doing obedience with that. But we went to other clubs and we saw we were going to do working trials as well. Um, we went to a club that did IPO and it just started from there. I think it was obedience, but I felt that I needed something more than obedience from Imali. I thought, do you know what? Yeah, we can do a little bit more. But when we saw the IPO, that looked like fun and off we went and did IPO. Mm-hmm. So you just it, kind of went along to an IPO club? Yeah, that, or, yeah that's right, yeah. Uh-huh. So the Mallys came first then? Definitely, yeah, yeah. Um, Quilla, who I've still got now, she's 12, got her first and she started me off on the journey. Uh-huh. So before that, was it co- always collies or? Always, always collies, yeah. Uh-huh. Since I was 18. <laughs> so you said you did obedience before that. Did you ever do an- anything else like agility or? No, no, we we went occasionally. We might have gone up to a local club and just played around, but nothing, didn't compete or anything. Always obedience. Mm-hmm. Then. So I guess, well, I guess then what got you into obedience then? <laughs> having a dog that needed some training we went to the local dog club as you do and um, from there we did a few little shows and then you always wanted a little bit more so I got another collie and did a few more shows and uh-huh. there it was Did you find the obedience kind of the skills you learned in obedience transferred to IPO quite well? Yes definitely yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Because I mean how does the obedience part of IPO compare to the to just competition obedience? At the top level, it's quite similar. Um, yeah, everyone's looking for precision. You want a bit of style. So yeah, at the top level, then it's quite similar, and it transfers really easily. Uh huh. Because you have, um, I, I, you correct me, but you have the um, the heel work in obedience, don't you? But then you also have a retrieve. Yes. Which you and you have both of those things in IPO, don't you? Yes, you do. You, you have got the obedience, uh, the retrieve. In obedience, in the other classes, the higher classes, you can retrieve different articles. In IPO, it's always a dumbbell, but in IPO, you retrieve on a flat, so you retrieve just a normal dumbbell, throw it out, the dog comes back, and then you also do it over a, a jump and an A-frame. Mm-hmm. So what made you prefer IPO to working trials? Uh, well, I did double at working trials with Quilla, and I think because IPO is... Perhaps not not then. No, it's um, sorry. Perhaps now working trials, I believe, is a little bit more precise. But when I did it, it, it wasn't quite as precise as obedience. Uh-huh. And IPO is similar. They want the precision and the mm-hmm. style. And there's also quite a lot of obedience in IPO. A lot of heel work, and in working trials, there's not quite as much. In in the working trials, you don't. You also you don't have bite work until almost the very end, do you? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you, you've got to, I think you've got your CD, UD, WD, and then you, you could go into your PD, which is the bite work. But you have to complete the other stages first. Oh, that's interesting. So they must introduce dogs to bite work really quite late. I, I, would, I presume so. I mean, I don't know because I don't do that. Yeah, fair enough. I presume so, yeah. Um, oh, okay then. That's so. You went and you went away and you did your world championships. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> but you didn't have such a great time. It, it was good. It was good. Um, we went last year to the Czech Republic, and this year we went to France. Um, a bit of a disaster, but we enjoyed it. I didn't take yeah. the time. I was too nervous, but it's all a good experience. So that was your second time, though, going to the World Championships? Yes, yes. Um, last year at the Czech Republic, she, her attitude was a lot better. She was really up for it. This year, a little bit lethargic and not really with it. Uh-huh. What is it? I mean, do a lot of people from England travel over to to the World Championships? Well, in this country, we we don't have many Mallys doing IPR. We have, um, I think, I might be wrong here, but I think there's possibly only three that are competing at IPR three level. Um, oh wow! So, so I didn't have to qualify to go to the World Championships because we don't have a qualifying event over here with having so few Mallys. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, the other breeds, uh, Rottweilers and German Shepherds, you'd probably get a few more of those going abroad. Rottweilers, you have um, a competition that they enter which qualifies them to go to the World Championships. And the German okay. Shepherds, so they have to qualify to go. Oh, okay. Um, so it's done by breed then? Some of the World Championships are. You've got um, breed-specific World Championships and then you also have an event called the FCIs. Uh-huh. Is all breeds. So, which one was it that you went to? Sorry, I went to the Belgian Shepherd World Championships. Oh, okay. Have you ever been to the other one? Only to watch, not to compete. Okay. So, all right. Okay, that's really that's really interesting. So, why why such a lack of Mallys in this country then? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I can't believe it. I don't know. Um, I think maybe the two main organisations in this country are really dedicated to German Shepherds. So people mm-hmm. tend to follow suit and get shepherds. Um, I don't know, really. I think there's more Mallys coming in. I've seen more uh, recently. I've seen quite a few more coming into the, into the sport. So hopefully it'll take off. How do you think that Mallys compare to Rottweilers and German shepherds? Um, well, I know you've got a bias, so you, yeah. you're, you're going to <laughs> I've never owned them, so I can't say um, from an owning point of view. Sure. Uh, I think you could possibly compare them more to a shepherd than a rotty. Um, mm-hmm. Totally different to rotties. With the working line shepherds, they're fast, active, uh, very intelligent. So I suppose you can compare them with that. Uh, I think Mallys probably have a little bit more nerve, a little bit more sensitive. Yeah. But they- oh, it's interesting you say that because. I mean, I haven't worked with working line shepherds, but um, I find with the pet line shepherds, they can be really sensitive when they're young. Right, yeah. I don't know if you found that. And then I, then I, I do a lot of one-to-one sessions with people with young shepherds, um, and normally it's a case of just bringing them on really slowly because they're nervous for very, just very sensitive dogs. Yeah, I would say certain mallies are like that, young when they're young. Um, I normally tell people, you don't know what you've got until it's about three-year-old, and then they settle down and they're a lot better. Do you notice a difference between um, males and females as well? Well, again, I've I've not had a a male Mallet, but I used to have male Collies, and I think males are a little bit, what you see is what you get, a little bit more honest. Do you find that one of the genders does better in competition or not? In IPO, I think people like the power that you get with the male. Uh-huh. You get a lot more strength and in the sport. 
certainly on the protection side, that's what people are looking for. So I think, yeah, males, possibly as a spectator, you, you prefer to watch the males. What's the difference in size between the males and the females with mallies? <laughs> Again, it varies um, because my females uh-huh. are quite, quite large for mallies. Okay. Um, but, yeah, you, you get a lot, usually a lot sort of thicker set, a lot heavier, and, yeah, can be bigger. Uh, Mike Quiller's brother, he was, he was huge. Um, but again, is it kind of like thirty kilos? That kind of range, or I would say heavier. Yeah, the both the males. Yeah, because my my female now is twenty nine kilos. Oh, okay, wow. Uh-huh. So yeah, the males are a lot heavier. Yeah, I've got to be honest. I do prefer the bigger dogs. It's one of the things that puts me off a little bit about Mallys is I I do quite like a big dog, <laughs> and and some of the Mallys. <laughs> Sorry, you need one of mine. They're quite big. Yeah, well, I've never met yours, but I'm keen to, um, because that's the thing. I I know that I want a female, um, but then I also want a bigger dog. So I, that's the only thing that puts me off a little bit about, about Mallys. Yeah, you can get some quite small ones. Uh, mine tend to be quite tall for Mallys, uh, but you you can get some which are very small. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I mean, more back to the com- kind of com- comparison between all three breeds. I know you said you haven't owned them. Well, I say all three. I know that there's others, but um, those seem to be the most represented in IPO. Tell me if I'm wrong. Um, the Shepherds, the Rottweilers, and the and the Mallies. Yeah, in this country, that you, that seems to be the case. Yeah. What What do you see the difference in performance when you kind of watch them? You said the Mallies and the Shepherds are quite fast. Yeah. Do you find the Rottweilers a little bit slower? They're not. I, don't, I find they're not as athletic. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, you can get them more athletic, and I, I do know some. But generally speaking, I think your Mallies because they're lighter, um, and your Shepherds are a bit lighter, aren't they? Than Rotties, so you probably got that little bit more agile, a bit more speed. Mm-hmm. But then you've not got the same strength that you would get with a Rotty. So you were talking about um, the championships where they all come together. Yeah. Is there one breed that tends to dominate that? In the recent years, I think uh, possibly the Mallies. Uh-huh. Uh, I think about, not last year, the year before, I think a German Shepherd won. But for the last few years, it's been the Mallies that have been at the top. Yeah, okay. How do you feel about personal protection dogs? Because sometimes people talk about that and kind of link that in with IPO. Oh, it's nothing. I mean, again, I don't do personal protection, but... Um, IPO is a sport. It's purely a sport for me. Mm-hmm. Um, my dogs are not personal protection dogs. They're just sport dogs. It, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a hobby. Yeah, I think the difference. Well, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't the difference that the dog has to then make the decision to bite? Whereas in, is it in? Are they always cued in IPO? Or? They're all. They're, there's certain things you don't tell the dog to bite in IPO, but there's certain times it's a set routine. So mm. um, the dog gets used to when when it's doing an escape bite for example the dog's in a down and the helper runs away and as soon as the helper starts to run the dog knows it's got to run after him and bite the sleeve mm-hmm. so, so it's more of like a visual cue than a verbal cue yes definitely yeah yeah okay <coughs> so when you meet up with joe and everything are you doing ipo then or are you just um just hanging out <laughs> joe pay yeah joe yeah yeah i i train with another lady called joe as well train with um joe hill she's my mentor Oh, okay. Yeah, but Joe Pay, yeah, when we train up, we don't do IPO, no, we just do other things and chat. Um, mm-hmm. Occasionally, uh, if I need help with something, 
Yeah, she'll help me. So occasionally we might touch IPO a little bit. And mm-hmm. when I first met Jo, I gave her a cushion and she did a little bit with work with my older girl. Sure. That was quite good fun. Um, so, no, we don't do IPO. We do a lot of other things. Yeah, I was over, um, I spent some time over in Spain with Nando and that's when I first kind of got introduced to it a little bit because at the time he, he hadn't, I don't think he was doing IPO or anything, but he'd done some bite work with Zeus and um, that was my first time kind of holding a sleeve and um, doing that and it was really, really fun, which got me interested in it and he was talking at the time about getting a Mali and then obviously he ended up coming to you and, and getting and getting first. That that was quite a obviously it was quite a public process because I remember at the time it was all on Facebook and he was talking through the whole process of getting a puppy. When did you kind of become aware of it? Were you aware of it before Nando contacted you or just? Oh well, Nando contacted me in the, the November before. I wasn't. I didn't know who Nando was. <laughs> I googled him. Uh-huh. Um, so then when he started asking me about breeding etc., I just quite open and answered everything. He told me about his Facebook page and I had a look at that and that was a bit daunting for me because I'm not, I don't do sort of um, in your face and, you know, I was a bit frightened, I think, about answering these questions that everyone was seeing. Sure. Uh, but we did it. Um, yeah, I think it was really good that you did though because it it's, it's great to have transparency and I think there was a lot of people that didn't respond to the kind of questions and... I don't know. That I think for a lot of people that's quite worrying and a little bit off-putting. Yeah. But yeah. do you think that it's because it was public or...? I, I don't know who he asked, so I don't know. But I would imagine, I'm, I'm presuming that some of the people, if he, if he asked some of the top Mali breeders, they may have thought, well, why should I answer your questions? You know, They've already got proof, some people, that the dogs are good dogs. Why should they be answering these questions? Uh, but for me... The person who's taking your puppy needs to know, you know, that you're doing the right things. You want them, you want your puppy to go to the right person. They want to take the right puppy, but you want that person to be the right person. And so, yeah, of course, you should be answering these questions. They need to know that they've got the right breeder. As much, yeah. as, much as I need to know, I've got the right owner. Yeah, it seems like the questions should really go both ways. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, talking about kind of puppy raising, are there things that you do specifically with your puppies? Um, to prepare them for kind of dog sports and stuff like that? No, not for dog sports. I think... Um, or just casual life, or just, you know, just life, really. Yeah, uh, we do. Um, my friend helps me, so Rachel, we call her the midwife. She comes and she helps me. Sure. And uh, we do all sorts. We do the uh, bios, the simulation, the stimulation. Neurolinguist. No, I'm thinking something else. Um, early neurological stimulation. That's the one, yeah. yeah. We do that. Oh, I'm really glad you do that. That's really cool. Yeah, I've done that with all the puppies. Uh, some people say it helps and some people say it doesn't, but we do that. And we do uh-huh. we did one um, this time, Avidog's scent stimulation. So it's quite similar, but you're just uh, concentrating on the scent aspects where you're introducing different scents to your puppy. Uh-huh. Uh, again, from day three onwards. Uh, that seemed to work because... From what all the owners say, they all seem to have good noses. So I'll be doing that one again. Then we we do different surfaces, getting the puppies used to different surfaces, taking them to different places, meeting people, meeting dogs. Just just 
everything really um and little bits of training as well we do just to get the puppies used to just little baby like maybe a hand touch or maybe asking the puppy to climb on a box or a, a tree it's just little things so what sorts of homes do your puppies tend to end up going to nice homes <laughs> you don't have like uh I'm only going to sell them to sports homes. No, then. not at all. No, no. Um, no, that is not what I'm aiming for. I'm aiming, I want nice people, people that are going to look after them, people that are going to love them. Yeah, people that are going to do something with them, but it doesn't matter what they do. Mm-hmm. You know, just as long as they've got, you know, a good relationship with them and they're going to treat them well and just look after mm-hmm. them. So what have people done in the past? I assume that you've sold them to people that do IPO. Um, has there been working trials? Or? Well, uh, just this last weekend, Chaska's sister, she's in Ireland, she's called Ali. She's, um, I think she qualified for ticket in obedience. And okay, she, very cool. So yeah, and she also does working trials, so she's got a, I think it's a WDX she's got, so she's doing really well. Mm-hmm. And two of Chaska's sisters have got IPO2, so they're looking to get their IPO3. Uh, I've got some doing agility. Uh, Jo's got just got two. She she does a lot of training with hers, and of course Nando's got. Is that, is that Jo Hill? Yes, yeah, Jo. Okay. Um, uh-huh. I've got another lady who's doing working trials. Uh-huh. Um, as I said, two went to agility homes. One went to be a police dog. Oh wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so it's a bit of a mixture. Um, there's a couple that are just pets. How does it work out with the police dog thing? Is that something that they contacted you about? or? Yeah, they did. It wasn't actually the force that contacted me. It was the dog handler, and he was looking uh-huh. for Mali. Uh, he came, really, really nice guy. And so, he, although the force bought the dog, he was the handler, and he went and took, you know, he picked it up and trained it. And, and um, yeah, he's now a police dog. So is that kind of like a general purpose police dog, yeah. or is that, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, it is. We had a discussion, um, I had a discussion with David Ryan and he was talking about, because he used to be in, I think, he was in one of the police forces, I can't remember if it was the Metropolitan or just just uh, one of the other police forces, but he was talking about how he prefers the Spaniels, etc. for scent work stuff. Um, and actually he was saying he prefers the Shepherds for everything else, but everyone's got their preferences, but I think... Um, he, he was saying that the problem with the Mallies is sometimes they can be a little bit too eager to bite. Um, and it can be difficult to teach them to leave the bite because it's so rewarding for them. Is that something you found or? Again, I'm doing sport dogs, so I'm not, I'm not doing dogs that are working and, and doing the job for real. But in sports dogs, certainly the way I train, no problems outing a dog uh-huh. at all. Um, you know, mine are Mallies, and I've not, never had a problem. They've all got fantastic outs, so I've not had that problem. I, I have seen it, but I've seen it in all breeds. I've seen it in Mallies and Shepherds. And I think sometimes it can be the training side of it as much as the dog itself. Uh-huh, sure. So do you do a lot of scent work stuff as well, or is it...? No. <laughs> no. Have you ever kind of delved into that world, or...? No, I'm hoping to do with my puppy. I'm hoping to do a lot more scent work with my puppy. Um, we do tracking, which is part of the IPO sport. Mm-hmm. Not my favourite phase. And I think that's... <laughs> yeah, I think it's possible because the dog's doing it and the dog knows more than me. So I'm a little sure. bit sort of 
hoping it's going right. Probably better now than I was when I first started teaching tracking, but it's not my favourite. But I'm hoping to do more with the pup when I get the puppy to do more just general scent work searching rather than tracking. Uh huh. Yeah, I really I love scent work. Um, I've done tracking as well, but I prefer scent work. But the IPO tracking is a very particular type of tracking, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, a lot of people find it quite boring. Um, Doesn't the dog has to be very kind of mechanical? Is that right? Yes, definitely. It's got to, it's got to have a deep nose in every footstep. So mm-hmm. you don't want it missing footsteps. So, if, say for example, you've got a hundred pace track, you want the dog's nose in one hundred paces, nice and deep, and a nice steady pace. So you don't want it slowing down or speeding up. Nice steady pace and very consistent and very precise. So, how is that generally taught? I teach it with food. Uh huh. And I, yeah, I just teach it with food. In, initially, start off in every footstep, so you're okay. really used to following you know, one one piece of food in one footstep, next footstep, another piece of food. So that's how I initially start off, and then you start reducing the food. Oh, okay, because that's the same way that I, I've done tracking. I've done tracking in that way before. Um, but I guess with that style of tracking, your criteria is a little bit different. So if the dog's pulling his head up, then you go back to the food. Is that right? Or Yeah, you've got to take into account lots of things. I... I been lucky recently i've had a guy called paul quinlan been helping me he's trained mm-hmm. police dogs in the past and he, he's quite good with working out why maybe the dog's going wrong so scent direction and little changes in terrain and he, he's pointed out things like that for me to see um so that's been quite good uh, but i've also been doing a little bit of clicker training with the tracking as well but not sure that's worked yet <laughs> okay yeah, the scent theory can be quite complicated at times, can't it? I think so, yes, yeah. Yeah, it's one thing that I still struggle to get my head around. Yeah. I think some, it's it's not so bad with the basics of wind, etc., but then it's when you have to account for differences in the terrain, diff- dips and whatnot, uh, then it can get quite complicated. Yeah, I mean, when, when I've trained with Paul, he's quite often he'll video me and then he'll show me and I'll say, oh, she went off there. And so, yeah, there's a little pocket. There might be, like you say, a little dip. So there'd be a pocket of scent there. And he'll explain these things to me. And you think, wow. Yeah, it's really interesting. And it's fascinating to video yourself and then play, play it back later. And yeah, I love doing stuff like that. Yeah, I imagine that people that have done it a lot just get a real eye for it. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's taken a while. Um, I, I think I tried to control it too much rather than let the dog you know, find her own way. Uh-huh. Um, but now, yeah, now I, I let her do more and let her work things out more. Sure. So is that the kind of phase of IPO that you, you dislike the most? Or? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I, well, possibly I get more nervous on the obedience side. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's because people expect her to be really good. and uh, If... If we put you in charge of IPO, would you change the tracking at all? Or? No, I wouldn't. No, not at all. Uh, you, I, I quite, you, you know, when I first started, I thought, oh, this is a bit slow. But now that I've done it, I understand how difficult it is to get the dog to be so precise. It's difficult for me. It's not difficult for some people. Um, and it's part of the sport. Why, you know, if, why would you want to change it? I quite enjoy it now. <laughs> I think for some people it can be a little bit off-putting. 
because it's not as so you know people that train for like search and rescue and stuff like that obviously they want the dog to get to the end fast but they want it to be correct as well so i guess a more functional tracking is that is has a little bit more speed is a little bit less mechanical yeah i think for ipo you've got to remember it's it's not just a tracking exercise it's part of an obedience exercise so they want it done in a precise way and to me that's the beauty of ipo it's it's not just the three phases but you've got to have the obedience in all three phases and the precision Mm -hmm. and that's what i like about it yeah i can understand the precision element yeah yeah i can see where you're coming from so with the obedience um what is it you're getting scored on everything (laughs) (laughs) you want um yeah everything you've got to have precision obviously and style and speed um, and good teamwork and, and you want to see an overall picture that looks good so you know even if a dog's precise but it's looking you know it's heads down and it's not happy you're not going to get as much as, as a dog doing exactly the same but it's got a style and attitude mm-hmm. it's it's um people want to see a nice picture don't they you want to see it and think oh wow that looks nice and that's going to get you more points than a dog that that isn't enjoying itself I think to lay people, sometimes you look at, like, obedience and you see all these dogs seemingly going around the ring flawlessly and you kind of think, what? How, how on earth does the judge pick them apart? Everything is so perfect. But I guess to someone like you that has done it before and you know what you're looking at, you're seeing a different picture. Yes, yeah, you, you're looking for all the finer points. So at the top level, you may be looking for a dog that's, just gone a little bit wide or you know just tiny little things it might be a little bit more crooked than the next dog uh you do get an eye for it once you've been doing it for quite a while mm-hmm. and sometimes it's easier if you've got a dog that is really really good and you think well that looks perfect sometimes it can be a bit easier because you can see every little flaw then you know if it's, uh-huh. if it's going along and it's doing perfect heel work and then it just loses concentration for a little bit and maybe just drifts off you're going to see that quicker and easier than a dog that's drifting on and off constantly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Um, with the heel work and how precise it is, do you have to teach it in kind of phases and build it up slowly? I mean, how do you even go about doing something so intricate and so detail-based? Yeah, that, that's what I do. Um, I mean, like, all my, like I said, my, all my training is... The foundation is all from Jo Hill, so all her training is... is hopefully what I'm doing with my dogs so yeah I start off just getting some nice movement um maybe little hand touches and tiny little bits you know you know if you're going to do heel work and you've got a young dog or a puppy you're not going to do 50 60 paces and expect perfection you're going to teach very small little precise bits first sure and do lots of lots of things so you might you know you might be teaching the dog to be correct at the side of your leg you might be teaching separately teaching it to have nice movement and then you put all those things together mm-hmm. so that's the tracking and the, and the obedience what are the judges looking for in the bite work uh, bite work is again you, you again it's precise so you want a nice full bite so mm-hmm. if you're to look at a dog that's got a sleeve in its mouth you wouldn't see a gap the the the, the sleeve would be fully in the dog's mouth okay and the dog wouldn't move so it wouldn't be chomping up and down the sleeve. It would, it would bite. It would get a full bite, and it would keep its mouth on that sleeve 
in that position. Um, mm-hmm. So they're looking for that. Again, they're looking for the speed and the accuracy and a nice sharp, if you give the dog the out command, they want a nice sharp out and then they want the dog to engage quickly. So when the dog's supposed to bite, they want it doing that quickly. And also one phase we call the transition phase. So when the helper stops running and the dog's got hold of the sleeve, they want the dog to keep trying to trying to win the sleeve really. So they want the dog, the dog to keep hold and not just to mm-hmm. let go on its own. Okay. Sometimes you see these videos of IPO where a dog runs towards a helper and just completely takes them out. And obviously it's very funny when you're watching it. But how does that work on a point system? Does the dog get more points for, like, really kind of hammering the sleeve? Or is it... How does it work? I think I think the judge... I mean, I don't judge. I would... Certainly the audience would uh, prefer that. But if it's doing it correctly, then the judge is going to give it points. Um, but for taking out the helper, I don't. The dog's not going to score extra points um, mm-hmm. because sometimes it, it, you know, maybe the dog, or it could be, you know, if the surface is slippery and the helper's fallen. But from a spectator point of view, you, you're certainly going to get more cheers. Yeah. <laughs> um, if the dog takes the helper out, uh, it, it could take the helper out, you know, by by knocking his leg or maybe not even having a correct bite. But then uh-huh. the judge is not going to award points if the dog's not done what he's doing correctly. If sure. I mean. uh-huh. um, obviously, you train in a quite a positive way, which is different to what has traditionally be do- been done in the sport for so long. Was that a decision you made straight away when you started IPO? That you were going to train it positively? I, I didn't think of any other way, to be honest. Um mm-hmm. Because that's you know if you that's how you train that's how you train, um, but certainly certainly with Chaska it's it's just so easy it's just you know if the dog's got that understanding that uh, we do this exercise and we get that reward we do another exercise we get another reward then it's so easy to do it positively because you the, the reward is there stood in front of you you know you've got this guy with a sleeve on that's the reward so the dog wants the reward it, it's it's just easy. I think possibly with my training, um, uh, well, certainly with some training, some people want more power in the dog, and to get more power, they maybe want a bit more power, a bit more aggression. So sometimes they give the dog a little bit of aggression to get aggression out of it. That's Uh not what I'm looking for. I mean, some people wouldn't do what I'm doing because they want a dog that shows a bit more aggression, but it's certainly not what I'm I'm after. Uh Do you feel that there's limitations to that? training then within the sport or no no I, I think you can with positive methods i think you can get the same result uh-huh. did you find that you had to innovate a lot of new methods when you came into this sport that was so filled with yeah. obviously forceful training yeah definitely but luckily um when i first started i used to train there was three of us me uh girl called sue and joe so a lot of the things that i'm doing again have come from george or hill so mm-hmm. Although, yeah, I've, I've sort of, you know, I'm, I'm doing things and constantly thinking, how can we do this, do it that way? But when I first started, a lot of the methods came, you know, from other people. But they're working, they are working. Yeah, sure. Well, clearly, because <laughs> you've been doing really well. Um, so did Joe start at the same club at you at the same time? Was that, or was that, we, how did that relationship? Together we had, um, our friend had um, a female Mally and had puppies. 
So we all had a puppy and we went to the club together and that's how it started. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. So we were, it was quite good, really, because we got the, the three young dogs and we were, competingly, we were competing with each other, but in a friendly way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was quite good. And then 12 years later, um, yeah, I'm still doing it. I'm still finding mm-hmm. ways of doing it. But I do a lot of training as well away from a helper. Sure. So if I wanted to teach... Um, Oh, I don't know, maybe a, initially with a young dog. If I wanted to teach it a collar to the hide, I might not teach it with a, a helper stood in a hide. I might teach it with a ball. Mm-hmm. But I sort of lower everything so it's easier for the dog to get it right. Uh-huh. Um, so, and then you, you just progress and eventually you add the helper with a sleeve. Are you finding the sports becoming more positive now? Yeah, I think so. There's, there's a lot of people out there training positively, and there has been for a few years. Um, so, yeah, I think more and more people are doing that. Do you find yourself being judged for, for not being willing to use more forceful methods? No. Um, maybe I am. <laughs> yeah, I'd be back. But certainly places I've been to, I've been to clubs that don't use positive methods, but they don't judge me. They, they help me, and I've always found everyone quite open, really, about it. Uh-huh. But... Um, so it sounds like it's not really ever kind of frustrated you too much. I remember, I remember when I was looking into the sport, just I just happened upon this um, thread on one of the forums, which was just so horrible. It was just so kind of passive-aggressive towards people that used positive methods. But it, it doesn't sound like you've let that affect you. Yeah, I think... Yeah, possibly because, you know, I go on Facebook quite a bit and I think maybe the threads I'm reading are the positive threads, so I'm going on sites that are positive. So maybe I've been a bit um, sheltered Uh by not seeing those threads or not reading them. Um, But yeah, yeah, you're right, they are out there and and I suppose people are still negative about the positive methods. Well, what I love about um, what you've done is... I remember in that thread that I read, people were going, where are the results? Where are the people that have done this? And you've kind of put that in their face by getting your IPO free and going to all these tournaments and stuff like that. I think a lot of people in your position would have maybe been a little bit more cocky and a little bit more arrogant, (laughs) kind of rubbed it in their faces a little bit. But you seem to be really humble about it. Yeah, I think because um, I'm not yet at the top. So I think I Uh have to be humble because... I'm actually not there yet. I'm I'm very low, low down. Uh, if you take, for example, the World Championships, there's, what, 120-odd dogs entered? And we came way, way, way down. We were, like, sure. number 100. So I'm not out there doing it, but I'm, I'm trying. And I think a lot of people in IPO always look at the protection phase and think that can't be done positively. Um, th- I suppose that's really her best phase. So she's got quite a bit of power. She's got the obedience. She's usually got the commitment. So hopefully, yeah, hopefully I can be a little bit more cocky about it when I get my next dog. (laughs) Is there stuff that you've done with your current dog that you kind of think, oh, I wish I did that differently? I think everything, yeah. Yeah, everything. um, Because I've learnt so much with her. So now I think, you know, with my next one, I'll do the highs differently. I'll just do everything differently. I won't start the bike work quite as early. Yeah. yeah. But that's that's the thing about dog training, isn't it? You're constantly learning. Uh-huh. 
Um, so are there people performing... You said that there's... You came 100th. Were there people that placed higher that are still are committed to the kind of positive training? It's difficult, that what? one, isn't it? Because you, you, when you see them training at these competitions, you see them all with balls and, you know, they're, they're out there doing it positively, but you don't know what goes on at home. So I don't really know. People say they're doing it positively, and I hope they are, but not sure. Uh-huh. I think... IPO and like you said the bite work stuff puts people off um, or worries people more than anything else in dog sports I mean I've seen people or seen conversations between people that aren't involved that get really like worried and I don't know they're really concerned about it yeah. Um, yeah. why do you think that is? I think, I think it's because the reward is attached to a person's arm uh-huh. So they think the dog is biting the person. I, I don't know, but it's not. I mean, it's certainly with my dogs, you, you know, you come and say hello to them, and I take them around and people say hello to them and pet them and stroke them, and they're sociable. They're not going to go and bite someone. And if I, I, there was a thread on um, one of the sites I'm on about the exact, exact, well, exact same conversation, and some people said, well, yeah, of course, if, if someone ran across the field, they'd expect an IPO dog to be more dangerous and more likely to chase that person. Mm-hmm. But, and I find that quite odd because they're, so, they're taught so precisely and they, they've got to be under control so much when they're on the field. Mm-hmm. And it's such an easy... When you see the scenario in, at um, a competition, you've got six hides, you've got a guy with a suit on, that guy with a suit is wearing a sleeve, and they, he's doing exactly the same thing at each trial. So the dog knows... Mm-hmm today I'm going to bite the sleeve if you're on a park and you see somebody running it's totally different isn't it the dog's not going to go and chase off after someone and bite them mm-hmm. it's um, yeah I find it odd that people think that would happen but do you think that uh, there is an increased risk with an IPO dog I, again I think it's down to the training methods so I wouldn't say there is with my dogs because mm-hmm. it's a game everything is a game um, some people want the dogs to have more aggression so they'll teach mm-hmm. the dogs to be a bit more aggressive. So maybe, maybe those dogs might be more dangerous. I couldn't say because I don't own them, but I know mine. Someone, someone was saying to me that um, I said that the sleeve is obviously a very obvious visual cue. And they said, but yes, and they kind of counted with, well, yes, but it would be very easy for someone that doesn't know better to accidentally phase out the sleeve. You know, be it cold weather, they accidentally roll their jump her over the sleeve a little bit or something like that do you think that's a real concern do you think that without proper guidance someone could really mess this up i think in protection yeah you've got to know what you're doing you've got to go to the right people yeah you you possibly could mess it up if you're teaching using the wrong methods and using the wrong sort of scenarios my training is very it's very easy for the dog to understand so there's a guy stood in front of you on a specific field doing a specific routine. This is what we mm-hmm. do. And in this situation, when certain things come together, we run after this man and bite this tar on his arm. Um, sure. But yeah, I think some people, whether it's within the sport of IPO or, or other ways of, you know, other sports, I don't know. But yeah, possibly, you know, people could teach the dogs the wrong way and teach them to be dangerous but I think 
you can that's not the sport of IPO, that's just people being idiots training dogs. Sure, okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't think the sport itself. Uh, the other the other counterpoint I've heard people make is, why does the toy have to be on the arm? Why can't you just have a bike pillow and and that be it? Oh right, I've not heard that one. Um, it would be quite difficult really because if you, if you watch the sport, the guy the guy the helper who's got the sleeve on, he runs away and he's got to keep running. Um, so if he's got a pillow which is on his arm, it would be difficult for him, and then he's got to. The pressure phase, he's got to sort of drive into the dog. Again, mm. if he's got a cushion, he's not going to be able to do that. Then they give the dog stick hits. So if he's holding uh-huh. a cushion, he wouldn't he wouldn't be able to do the stick hits. Um, uh-huh. you, I mean, we do a lot of training with cushions. A lot of my uh-huh. training is with cushions. But for the actual sport, uh, I think you do, you'd need it on the arm. And I think initially the, the sport, it's... Um, based, I'm thinking this, I'm not 100% sure, but it's based on police type work, so the dog's mm-hmm. chasing the criminal, so mm-hmm. you, you want it at least to look, I suppose, if it's biting an arm, although the dog isn't. Sure, so it's almost traditional in a way, in, in some sense, it's, it's, we have it on the sleeve because it traditionally would have been police work and we're trying to kind of... Yeah, that that kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, I'm sure people will disagree with me on that one, but there you go. That's all right. So how do people get involved with IPO? Because I think a lot of people, again, they're going to be worried about going to the club, especially people that are listening to this, and kind of being surrounded by electric and prong collars and whatnot. Yeah, uh, it's a difficult one because a lot of clubs do still use prong collars, and some still use electric, so it is difficult. But there are clubs out there, and there's getting more and more. Um, are there online courses that can kind of help introduce you to it? Yeah, there's. Uh, I've not used it myself, but there's the Fenzi, F E N Z I. They do quite a lot of IPO stuff, and there's a lot of online things you can learn there. Mm-hmm. Not sure about the protection side, of course, but yeah, obviously within reason because you need someone. To help you, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember I did look into that a little bit because there were a few. The people there was a few people that taught that. I don't know how they were doing in competitions. If you if there's a sort of people that you know you know personally. Uh, I know people that have well I've, I've seen them on Facebook. They've said, "Oh yeah, I've done that and it's really good." But I don't know how people are doing in competition. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think. Uh, I think the online ones are okay, but you've also you've got to put it into practice, haven't you, as well? Um, uh-huh. Yeah. Um, what about? There's so many breeds that can do um, like IPO and uh, and technically have done protection work in the past, like your Dobermans and your giant Schnauzers and huge, you know, your, your other big dogs like that, and and some of the other Belgian Shepherds. How? Oh, and the, and actually, another one that comes to mind is Boucherons. Yeah. Um, I are they kind of a real minority at this point? They seem to be. Um, interestingly enough, the competition I went to at the weekend, they had we had three Mallies, two German Shepherds, two Dobermans, one Rottweiler, one Parsons Jack Russell, 
and one border collie. Yeah, it was doing its game. Yeah, and a border collie. Um, so that was really good because, you know, nice variety there. Um, now, in this country, we've got a few more, a few giant schnauzers that have started mm-hmm. competing, so that's really nice to see. And boxers, there's a, a guy at our club who's got a young boxer. Uh-huh. He, had a, he had an IPO one with his last boxer. So, um, Do you think any of those dogs are a little bit of an underdog? You know, do you ever watch some of those breeds and think, oh, actually, bloody hell, they've got, they've got something there? Yeah, it's, <clears throat> it's really because I think for, for us with shepherds and mallies, you know, the, the dogs are built to do the sport, so it's easy. With some breeds, the, the, it's, it's harder. I mean, certainly for a, a Jack Russell, it's going to be harder for them to do the sport. So good on them. They're out there. They're going to do it. And I, I just love it. I love seeing different breeds. Um yeah, and that, like I've got a friend who's got giant schnauzers. She's just got her IPO3. That, you know, it's brilliant. With a giant schnauzer? Yeah. We, oh, that's really cool. I was just about to ask. Yeah, it's. Uh, what? I think she's the second one in the country. I think Tony got his first, and then Mary's just got hers with her lad. Uh-huh. So that's really good. Do you know of any other breeds that have got IPO3s? Uh, I think Border Collies have in this country previously. I've not known them, but I've known people say they have. Um, uh-huh. Like I said, guy at our club... Had an IPO one on his boxer, but then he he lost his boxer. Uh, oh. Yeah. So and then obviously you've got the Rotties and Dobermans. Uh, got Dobermans with IPO threes. So I'm trying to think of any other breeds in this country. In other countries, you you do get a lot of a lot more variety, but then the sport is a lot more common in other countries. I've heard people say as well, and I just I'm obviously I'm not really involved in the sport, but I occasionally I just come across little bits of information and obviously everyone has their own opinion and everyone tends there's a lot of people that tend to be quite opinionated but I've heard people say things like there aren't really any good Dobermans for this kind of stuff anymore because no one's really breeding them do you find things like that true or do you think that that's just a load of rubbish I wouldn't say there's no good ones, but it, it's harder for certain breeds to do the sport. So, um, it's just, yeah. Because no one's really breeding them for it anymore. I don't know if that's the reason, but yeah, possibly. But I, th- I suppose they're historically bred for different things, aren't they? So, um, like the Mallies and the Shepherds now, you see going back hundreds of years, or a hundred years, and they've been bred to do the sport. Mm-hmm. And that's what they've been bred for. They've not been bred to herd sheep or do whatever they used to be bred to do. They've been bred to do the sport. And I think there's less and less of the other breeds that are bred specifically to do IPR. Do you think that the Shepherds, the Rottweilers and the Mallies would be useless now if you were to try and get them into herding? I think possibly certain lines would be, uh, um, yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a bit of a shame in some ways because obviously, I guess the whole point of IPO really is that you were doing what the dogs were originally intended to to do. But if we've kind of neglected herding along the way, um, I, I'm not sure that all Mallies were herding dogs though. I don't know about Mallies. I'm mostly thinking of the Shepherds and the Rottweilers. All right, well, <laughs> yeah, it would be nice, wouldn't it, for them to do whatever they were bred for initially. Yeah, it would be nice. But I think people are doing that more and more, aren't they, in, in breeds. I've seen um, videos of, of certainly Mallies doing herding work. Um, uh-huh. There's a lot of... Recently, there's been a lot of controversy about um, 
German shepherds and the way that they're bred, and particularly in the show lines, but also a little bit in dogs that have got titles before, with kind of the slanted backs and the kind of weak cocks and stuff like that. Um, how do you feel about all of that? Oh, not one I really want to get into. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to offend friends. Yeah, well, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because, you know, who am I to say, well, my dog's bred better than yours? I do know some people who have shoreline shepherds. They're fit, they're healthy, they're living good lives. There are extremes, and I don't like the extremes in any breed. And I think people, they saw this dog at Crust, didn't they, and they slated it. And you know what? I'm sure there's a lot of dogs out there that are far, far worse. Do you know, you've got some dogs that can't breathe when they're walking. Um, do you know, I just think, I just, I don't like the fact that people were getting on the case about one particular dog. I think it was a little bit mean, to be honest. It's, in many ways, yes, because um, obviously, to pick on that one lady or that one breeder, but it seems to be a wider issue with the German Shepherds. Yes, it does, and... And I suppose um, the publicity will, you know, people will look at it and think, well, maybe we should be reading them differently. I, I really hope so. But at the same time, obviously, after that, you had quite a lot of people, especially obviously people that are involved in the German Shepherd world, kind of going against it and saying, hey, there's nothing wrong with our dogs, blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah, I think you've got to sort of open your eyes a little bit. And, and if there's something wrong, then you've got to see it. You, you know, you've got to see what you're breeding and... And look at it, the bigger picture, and think, well, yeah, am I breeding fit, healthy dogs? Mm-hmm. And you've got to be a little bit honest with yourself. Um, but I, I don't think it's not just the breeders, is it? If, if people, if the judges are putting their dogs up that shouldn't be put up, then it, it's that's part of the issue. Um, but I think I do think they are a lot. You know, they're trying, aren't they? People are breeding dogs, are trying to get healthy dogs, having them health tested. Um, I really hope so. I think that there's a minority that are still. Yeah. Just going for show results, unfortunately. But, you, but I really, I really do hope so that we get start to get somewhere. Yeah, but it's not just the show people, is it? Because you know you've got people that breed working line dogs, and similar issues. They're not having the dogs health tested. They just look at the mallies. The mallies are getting more popular. So people have got mallies and think, oh yeah, I'll put this mallet to that mallet and sell it for whatever. You know, not thinking of the bigger picture. What what are you selling? What's that going to happen to that puppy? Have you had it health tested? You know. And, mm-hmm. Is that something that frustrates you quite a lot, the yeah. kind of rise in popularity of them? Yeah, it definitely does, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. What kind of issues are you seeing with that then? You, I mean, you mentioned there people breeding without health tests. I, I think possibly not seeing it yet. I think we may see it in the future, you know, when there's been more bred and, and more dogs bred to other dogs that have not had health checks or, you know, even even the sport itself, like the IPO sport, the first test we do is a BH and that tests the temperament. So even if you're looking at, you know, buying puppies, at least if you've got one that an IPO dog, you know that possibly the temperaments, you know, half decent. Mm-hmm. Well, some people are not even bothered about the temperament, are they? They're just breeding one thing to another. And Mallies are always kind of associated with having really high drive and stuff like that. Um, how do you think the average pet owner is going to deal with that? Uh, well, again, I think it depends. Depends a lot on different lines, different dogs, but the average pet owner for the normal high drive Mali, I would say it's it's a hard job. It's yeah, um, I certainly know people that are struggling with 
yeah. Mallys that they've got as pets. Yeah. And Mally crosses as well. Yeah, because they, they do need a job. I mean, I'm, I'm saying this now and my three are all fast asleep around me. But um, if you give them a job to do, then they're easy to live with. But if they haven't got a job to do, then they can be destructive, they can be temperamental. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, you, you've got to look at the right lines as well. You've, you know, you've got to look at dogs. You've got to, when you're going to buy your puppies, you've got to look at the parents and you know get the right ones and not get these crazy things that are bouncing off walls. <laughs> Unless that's what you want. But if that's what you want, then obviously you've got to appreciate when you get it home, that's what it's going to be doing. Yeah, sure. Well, what do you tend to go for? Do you tend to go for the ones that are bouncing off the walls, ready to go? Um, oops, I'm losing. I know you d- you're breeding your own at this point. But... Yeah, I want yeah I want something a bit more like that for for my sport. Not not crazy, but certainly something that's busy enough and got the energy and but then I'm going to be looking at IPO dogs you know when I breed my little girl um you know she'll probably be going to a male that's got titles in IPO we had a little conversation me and some of my friends on Facebook um yesterday about how a certain, it was it was a video of a Malinois that um someone was there was more of uh oh, how can I put this? So they allowed the dog to fail three times in a row, and then they rewarded it. Um, do you find that with Malinois you can have a much higher failure rate than you would with other dogs? If that makes sense. Sorry, I'm trying to find a way of wording it. Um, at the learning stage, when it's actually learning. Yeah, because because they're willing to just keep going, and they don't get as frustrated as maybe as easily. Uh, they do get frustrated. Uh-huh. Yeah, they are willing to keep going. Uh, so I don't know if I'd want it to fail too often. I'm not, not sure I'd want that. I want I want my dog because if it's going to fail too often, that could be part of you know the scenario that the dog keeps doing, getting it wrong, getting it wrong, then eventually get it right. I'd um, mm-hmm. my dog just gets it right straight away. Sure. You spoke a little bit about lines. <laughs> what differences? Have you noticed between the lines? And also, what lines are out there? I mean, are you talking about maybe sports lines, like IPO? Yeah, I've got to admit, uh, my dogs are sport dogs, so they're not show type. So I don't know anything about show type mallies. So don't know anything at all. But then within the sport lines, you've got different dogs again. So So, um, just a quick... Could you give us just a quick summary of the different sports? Because there's, there's the Belgian sport. Is it Mondio Ring? Or is that two different things I'm completely confusing? <laughs> yeah, you've got, <laughs> got KMPV, which is, is um, probably the one you're thinking about. So you've got KMPV, which, again, I don't know a lot about these sports. Um, uh-huh. So I think that's based more on the sort of police dog work. And you, the dogs, the KMPV dogs are usually a little bit harder, a lot stronger. Um, and you've got Mondio, which is... Again, similar but slightly different. Um, and the IPO is is more like an you know, obedience sport. Um, mm-hmm. I think personally, this is my belief. I, I'm presuming people will um, disagree with me on this one. But I think IPO is more of a, a trained sport, where the KMPV and Mondio you're testing the dogs a lot more. Okay. Um, no, and they're looking for different things. So with an IPO dog that bites the sleeve, you want it pulling back and sort of mm-hmm. getting the sleeve and, and trying to pull it back and, and sort of claim possession, I suppose. Whereas with the um, more the Mondio, when the dog bites, it pushes into the, the person. So you look 
Okay. Looking for two separate things. And it, it is quite interesting. You know, that does come out in breeding. So my older girl has got some... She's got some KMPV lines in her. And you uh-huh. can see with her when she bites hold of something, she'll push into you. And just okay. almost knock you off your feet because she's pushing into you that hard. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know this when, when we initially got the dogs, but it, it is interesting to see the difference. So it's really important then that if you want to go into IPO, you get an IPO line and not a KMPV line. It's, it is important, but um, you, you still do get KMPV lines in um, mm-hmm. because some of it you can teach as well. You, you can't teach that pulling back. Okay. So what other differences do you see? Do you see differences in temperament? Are you seeing a little bit more aggression in some of those KMPV lines than maybe you would see in an IPO? No, no. I have a friend who has um, one from KMPV lines and she's very very nice a strong dog but very sociable um mm-hmm. i've not seen a lot of them because we don't have a lot in i don't think there's a lot doing the sport in this country um so no i've not seen more aggression in fact mm-hmm. the ones i've seen have been quite sociable sure but then awesome. when when i went um went to germany with with joe hill last year and we saw quite a lot of mallies and they were super sociable really really up- that's really good to hear yeah yeah because we, we were like, oh, is it sociable? And, and people would look at you as like, well, of course it is. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so what about in appearance and size? Are you seeing differences in size between the lines? Uh, yeah, I think I think the um, from what I've seen, like I said, I've not seen a lot, but certainly the KMPV seem a little bit stockier. Okay. Um, no, mine, mm. mine are quite sort of tall and leggy. <laughs> yeah. Another thing I wanted to ask you about Malinois is I'm all I'm just I'm seeing the hour mark creeping in. I'm just getting out as many questions as possible. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you as well about colours because it seems to me that is it the fawn that is the most popular? Um, yeah, in, in for, for the working dogs, it doesn't really matter, does it? You, you know, you you'd first of all look at what the dog can do and uh-huh. that. It just seems to me that um, you you see a lot of the fawns, but less of the kind of mahoganies and and other um, colours. And I just wondered if there was a reason for that at all. Uh, certainly not in the working lines. From my experience, people like the dark ones. Okay. Into really really like dark, like dark paws, dark face. Um, mine's sort of fawn with a dark overlay, so she's like a fawny colour, but then she's got a black overlay. And certainly uh-huh. out when we were at the World Championships, you, you got everything. We, um, there was one huge dog, which was blue. So we had like a, like a dilute colour. He was like a... Okay. A, yeah, like a greyish colour. So how does that work out in terms of genetics? Can Do you find your dogs um, giving off puppies that are darker as well? Or is it something that you have to breed a darker dog to a darker dog to get... Uh, genetics, the colour is not my strong point, and it's not I w- I, it's not something I would look at in in the male. Um, it, certainly, if I suppose from a personal point of view, if I saw two males that were exactly the same except for colour, then I might go for the darker one. But mm-hmm. that wouldn't be my first priority. I'd be looking at the dog first, and you know what it's what it can do, um, sociability, etc. And then the colour would be secondary. Um, now, uh-huh. in my last litter, I had um, I don't know if you've seen Brian's dog, Brian McGovern's Alley. No, 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 I haven't. Uh, she's very dark features, so dark legs, like dark stockings and dark mask. And then if you look at Joe Hill's Wush, she's um, she's just a, a nice light fawn coloured. So they're quite. So but it's quite variable then. It, it 
in terms of what you get yeah. when you breed them. Yeah, I'm just turning it around. Mix a planter. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cool. That's, that's awesome. Um, so you tend to keep the females, though? I have done. Um, yeah, I used to have males when I bought a collies, and then when I got my first Mally, I thought, well, I'll, I'll have a female because that'll be easier. I'm not so sure that's true. <laughs> um, no, I mean, next one, because Jessica has... She, as phantom pregnancies and before a season she gets quite hormonal and she struggles to do certain things so i'm, I'm wondering if my next one i might get a male sure but i don't when you say you might get a male one that you've bred yourself or you might actually go oh, out no and... we're, we're hoping for puppies next season uh-huh. well very very cool yeah <laughs> awesome um i normally ask people at the end where they can find you but you don't you don't run a Facebook page or anything like that, do you? I just got my own Facebook page. No. Oh, you did? Only with me, not me, with me with my name, just me. Oh, I thought you meant that you just started a page. No, not for, for training and things. and bre- No, I don't. Um, I have got, um, just for the dogs that I've bred, I've got um, a Facebook page, which is it's just a public page now, uh, Rustic Smellingwear. Okay. So awesome. I'm hoping people will post, you know, photos and things of, of uh, the puppies but most tend to do it on their own facebook pages so yeah okay i'll be sure to check that out um do you ever post any kind of videos of of the training that you do or very very occasionally um uh-huh. i'm not i'm not one for for people sort of pulling me to pieces <laughs> <laughs> Fair sometimes enough. on video so i just keep it to myself and just just get on with it um but i've had a few people recently ask me so i might i might start doing a few little bits yeah it'd be amazing i tend to post a lot to be honest um on the facebook page promoting force free uh, i know the one you're on about but it's got a really long title hasn't it? it's always really hard to remember yeah, promoting force three force free methods for sport and working dogs i think it is okay that sounds I tend right i to post yeah. a lot on there because the people who are looking at that um the, the people that want to see what I'm doing, you know, they're not, mm-hmm. they want to see what sort of positive message. It's a lovely group as well. I've posted on there a few times and you, you never really get any nastiness or no. anything from what I've seen. No, so. no, no. No, you, all right. Because you want to, you want to promote, don't you? You want to promote people and help them. And if, you know, you, you don't want to be slating people for asking questions or trying the best. Uh-huh. Well, thanks for coming on because it was, it's great to talk to you. Get um, I've, I've just, yeah, I've just been trying to squeeze as many questions into the hour as possible because I find what you do really, really interesting. Excellent. Good. All right. Brilliant. Well, I know we've both got a run, so we'll leave it there okay. and um, chat later on Facebook or something. Yes. Good to speak to you, Nick. All right. Brilliant. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.